Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help me to say what ought to say tonight and say it in a way that will honor you. Teach us, Lord, the truth that we need to know that we'd be better servants for you. Bless our time together and meet each need in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to speak to you on a number, uh, which may be a little unusual tonight, uh, uh, the number seven. I don't know where you've ever did any study on numbers, but uh, I've done some, not, a, not an in-depth study. Uh, but numbers are uh, uh, fascinating, and everything in the Bible is there for a purpose, including the numbers. Uh, you know, you get into uh, the Chronicles, and sometimes it, uh, it becomes boring, especially the pronunciation of some of the names, but... They're all there for a purpose. God didn't put that in there because he uh, just wanted to mention someone's name. And uh, numbers are very important, and I think especially the number seven. Uh, I think I don't know that it's used more than other numbers. I did not uh, uh, find that out. But uh, anyway, uh, it is a, a very important number, and uh, I hesitate to say the most important. I'll let you reach that conclusion after we uh, get through the message. There's a number of things that we'd like to look at, and we'll not be able to look at all the scriptures unless you brought your uh, lunch and supper and breakfast and whatever. Uh, but uh, the number seven is, of course, the number of completion, <coughs> the number of perfection. And God completed. He finished His work, and He rested. This doesn't mean that God was tired but God was through, and uh, he ended his work, he rested, he completed, and that's what the number seven, and the Lord established the Sabbath here <coughs> and uh, for man's benefit. It was incorporated in the nation of Israel, and of course, we're not under the law of the Sabbath. If we were, then all of us would be Sabbath breakers and, and uh, probably uh, destined for stoning if we were still on the law of Moses. But uh, we are, uh, of course, in a, a new covenant, a new testament, and we uh, come together on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Sunday is not the Sabbath. I certainly believe the Lord's Day ought to be honored. And uh, I believe God will honor those that honor Him. <clears throat> and again, it's not uh, we're not under the Sabbath law, and so we don't want to confuse that. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, there was a time when uh, I think this nation uh, honored the Lord's Day, and I believe God honored the nation and the people because of it. Uh, you know, used to, you couldn't find a store open or anything, and now practically everything's open, and, and uh, the, a lot of the jobs, you know, they never close down, and they work seven days a week, and, and it takes a lot of, a lot of times it takes people out of church, and, and I don't think that's right, and and, uh, but anyway, uh, be that as it may, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, the seventh day. And uh, here, uh, of course, again, was the Sabbath day for Israel. God rested on the seventh day. Then we go to Genesis chapter 7, and we have the, word, the number 7 used again, and uh, where uh, uh, the ark, of course, is, is finished. And the Lord tells Noah to come on the ark. And uh, uh, verse 2, Of every clean beast I shall take to thee by sevens, 
the male and his female, and the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Now, the pictures that you've seen drawn, of course, have Noah and the ark and, and uh, the animals going in by twos. But the fact of the matter is that some of them went by sevens. Uh, there, the clean beasts, those, of course, that were used for sacrifice, like the sheep and the goats and, and, and all those animals, uh, went on by sevens. And you find after the flood ended, after the waters abated, that uh, Noah offered sacrifice to the Lord. Now, if there had only been two of everything, then when he offered sacrifice, uh, then uh, uh, those that uh, uh, were, uh, you know, if they'd just been two, then some, some things have been eliminated. There wouldn't be any sheep or any goats. And, and uh, though everything's important, of course, in God's plan. Then uh, it began to rain on the seventh day after Noah entered into the ark, verse 4, yet seven days I'll cause it to rain upon the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. Now, God waited seven days. Why didn't he wait six days or eight days? God waited seven days, and I think this was important, uh, before the flood came. The door was left open. Uh, I believe that during that seven days that people could have gone on the ark. Had they believed God, uh, had they believed uh, the, the message of Noah, they could have went on the ark. But uh, they did not believe because nobody went on, and God shut the door. And when the Lord shut the door, not even Noah could open the door. It was shut. And I want to say the Bible said as it was in the days of Noah. And uh, before long, God's going to shut this, the day of grace, the door of the dispensation of the grace of God. And when God shuts the door it's going to be shut. And uh, we need to realize that. <clears throat> then also, we have in Genesis chapter 29, I have a frog in my throat. It's really not a frog. It's, uh, so it feels like a fly, whatever. But and, You know, you heard about the, the preacher's preaching. In fact, a friend of mine that passed away said it happened to him. But uh, he was preaching and and, uh, you know, a bug flew in his mouth, and he just swallowed and kept right on going. And uh, uh, quoted the scripture, he was a stranger, and I took him in. <clears throat> but uh, uh, anyway, whatever it is, I hope to get rid of it here. In Genesis 29, we have also uh, the story of Jacob there, and how Jacob, of course, fled from Esau, his brother, who threatened to kill him after he stole the birthright. And he goes to Laban there, and meets Rachel, and she is uh, so beautiful that uh, uh, he wants her for his wife. And, and uh, uh, his uh, father-in-law, future father-in-law, said, you can have her if you work seven years. And uh, that was uh, quite, a, quite a, a sum, wasn't it? Seven years uh, for a wife, and he worked seven years for her and ended up with her ugly sister. I, I think it's one of the greatest tragedies, evidently, of all time. And uh, he ended up with Leon, and uh, of course he approaches Laban about that, and he said, well, if you work seven more years, I'll give you Rachel. Well, he actually worked 14 years for her. But he worked two seven-year period of time, then he worked six more years, I believe it was, for the animals. So uh, he spent 20 years there with Laban. And, uh, but uh, uh, he loved her so much 
that for seven years it seemed like a short time. That fellow was really in love, wasn't he? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I think of, uh, it talks about her week, and of course the week was seven years. Uh, but uh, I, I think of the, uh, uh, you know, of the comparison today and, and uh, you know, how frivolous, uh, you know, people, people think love is some kind of infatuation, you know, that all oh, you just, you know, have uh, gooey eyes and whatever, and, and uh, the, the average person don't even have any idea of what love is. But uh, love is, is commitment. Love is giving. Love is dedication. Love is sticking it out. Uh, love is, uh, is uh, you know, you don't see a lot of it around today, but it's something we need. Well, we have the use of the seven there. And then in Genesis 41, and I'm moving fast because I've got to cover a lot of ground. In Genesis uh, chapter 41, uh, you have uh, uh, the word seven used again in Pharaoh's dream. And he has this dream uh, there, and uh, he has these um, uh, seven uh, cows, kind is called, and uh, the seven cows are, uh, are fed and, and well-fed, and they look good, and, and then he, has these, he sees these seven uh, cows that look like the cows I saw in Mexico. Uh, I mean, you know, you could uh, almost hold a newspaper on the other side of them and read it. But uh, this uh, kind of skin stretched over a pile of bones. Uh, and uh, when I was down there, we ate in a, in a place in the city there, and, and uh, I ordered a steak. And uh, really, well, I thought it was, uh, you know, the sole off of a shoe. But uh, after I saw the cows, <laughs> I understood why the steak was so tough. Uh, but uh, anyway, these seven poor cow, cows ate up the seven fat cows, but they weren't any fatter. And, uh, you know, I have, uh, I have a brother-in-law, Carolyn's brother, and, and he can eat more than anyone I think I've ever seen in my life. And he's always been just kind of skinny. <laughs> uh, don't you just, uh, you know, hate a part, not hate, but... Uh, <laughs> A uh, person like that that, uh, that, that uh, can do that. But anyway, uh, he has the other dream, and he sees these seven good ears of corn and the seven blasted ears of corn. Uh, in fact, I was visiting with Mr. Williams, and uh, he was, uh, you know, have a patch of corn that has not been gathered uh, below his house there. This is Ms. Payne's dad. And uh, uh, he showed me an ear of it, he said, what happened? They planted it so late that, uh, uh, that it did not mature until it came a freeze and it froze the corn. And uh, what happened? It's, it's all wet and slimy looking and, and really the corn's not worth anything. Well, these bad ears of corn consume the good ears of corn. And Pharaoh can't understand what's going on. And Joseph interprets the dream and said the seven, the seven fat uh, cows and the seven good full ears of corn are one and the same dream. Seven good ears, years of plenty and then followed by seven years of famine. And of course you know the story and that's a story in itself, that wonderful, one of my favorite. I love that story. And uh, how God worked his plan and and how God prepared Joseph. And I'm really looking forward to meeting Joseph. 
I think he was a prince of a fellow. And uh, I'll tell you, it seemed like everything went wrong for him the first, didn't it? Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, some of these modern television evangelists, they'd say, I'll tell you one thing, it'd be like Job's friends, you know. Uh, you know, there must be something wrong with that fellow. He can't be right with God. All this bad going wrong in his life. He can't be right with God. But he was, wasn't he? And uh, it all ended up all right. But we have the seven used there again. And then in Exodus chapter 12, I'll not turn there, but Israel was in the feast was deed unleavened bread seven days after the feast of the uh, day of Passover there. They were to eat unleavened bread seven days. Been told about that in Sunday school some. And now leaven is a type of evil. And then in Exodus 37 and 38, we have a description of the, uh, of the uh, uh, furniture uh, that was used in the tabernacle. And there's a lot of discussion about uh, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant may be. And some say they found it and, and uh, uh, all these different ideas about uh, where the ark is. They've, they've opened up that tunnel now. Great controversy. You know, the Arabs got all upset and, and they, just, they just found something to get upset about. Well, nothing to be upset about. Right. I agree with the prime minister. That tunnel's been there for centuries. And they just simply opened it up and it has nothing to do with the mosque and all that. But uh, anyway... Uh, it's amazing that, uh, uh, that they have that tunnel back in there around, around that area. And they, they say, you know, there's a place in there that they say this is the closest part to the Holy of Holies and all that. It's quite interesting what's happening there. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, at the tabernacle, of course that was the, uh, the temple area, but the tabernacle was the portable temple, if you please. And it was built in the wilderness. Uh, and there were seven pieces of furniture, uh, not six or eight, but seven. When you went into the courtyard, the first piece of furniture was the brazen altar, and the fire burned continuously. They had the morning and the evening sacrifice. In fact, the Lord kindled the first fire, uh, and they were not to let the fire go out. But it's a picture of the cross, and uh, where Jesus, of course, would be crucified. Then you come on the, the second piece of furniture in the courtyard was the laver, the brazen laver. And every time the priest went into the holy place, he had to wash his hands and his feet. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a picture of the daily cleansing that we need to serve. We don't have to get saved again, but if we get defiled, this, this, and, uh, you know, we need daily cleansing. Just like the Lord illustrated this in John 13. Uh, on the, the washing of the feet. And uh, he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And he wasn't talking about getting saved. Some people take that and say, I'll tell you, if you don't have feet washings in your church, you, you're not even saved. Where does the Bible say that? And uh, he's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about that. And Peter said, wash me all over then. And uh, uh, he said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. Uh, the Lord is saying, If you've been washed in the blood of Jesus, you don't have to get washed in the blood of Jesus again. If you've been saved, you don't have to get saved again. But you do need your feet washed. You do need your daily cleansing. And in that country, they wore the sandals 
And of course, as they, uh, they would take their bath in the public bath or whatever, and they would travel in the dusty streets and all. When they got home, they didn't need another bath. They just got a bath. But they did need to wash. The, they had the basin. It was common. They had a servant there. The master of the house would, would uh, guests would come in, slip the sandals off, and they, they'd, uh, you know, rinse them off in the water and had a towel and dry their, t- dry their feet. That was a normal and a customary practice. And the Lord takes that and teaches a great lesson. But uh, he was, I think uh, he has in mind, if you studied, if you've studied the tabernacle, it ties in with the labor. That's what got me on it there. I didn't mean to get off on, on all that. But... Uh, uh, it, it's a picture. The Lord used that in the, in the tabernacle and he, he brings it over into the New Testament age. And he again, he uses a customary thing to teach them spiritual truth, just like the sower went forth to sow and uh, uh, did not uh, incorporate it, of course, into a church service. But anyway, uh, so much for that. And, but there were seven pieces of furniture. We've got the brazen altar. We've got the laver. Uh, we've got, uh, you go inside the, the holy place, and you had on the, on the right side the table of showbread, and you had the candlestick on the, on the left side, and right before the veil, you had the golden altar of incense, the place of prayer. And then behind that, that's five pieces, and you had the veil, and behind the veil where the priest went once a year, you had the golden ark of the covenant, and uh, uh, inside of that was the two tables of the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded, and a golden pot of manna. And uh, on top of that was the mercy seat with the cherubims on each end, which makes the two pieces there, the ark and the mercy seat, uh, where the blood was sprinkled, is the seven pieces of furniture. And then, of course, the lampstand. And you, you read that in Ezekiel, in Exodus, pardon me, 37 and 38. Then the, the lampstand had seven prongs to it, six going out each side with a main stem, seven-pronged lampstand, Exodus 37, 23. In Leviticus 16, verse 14, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would go behind the veil and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat seven times. Why did he do it seven times? Of course, he had to smoke that place up with the incense, uh, because no man could look upon God and live, and the Lord glory of God dwelt behind that veil, and he would, they had to take the bullock, and he'd go in there with that bullock's blood and sprinkle the blood for himself and his family. And then they had the two goats, and he cast lots, and one of the goats was killed, and he took the blood of that goat, and the bullock was a sin offering for him and his family, and the blood of the goat was a sin offering for the people. And he sprinkled that blood on that mercy seat seven times for the people. And then he would come out on the live goat. He would confess the sins of the nation and of his family and himself on the head of that live goat. And they tuck it away in the wilderness uh, there uh, in a desolate place to to really uh, starve to death or whatever or be killed by a wild animal. And it's a picture of of our sin being taken away. Uh, The goat that was killed is a picture of the blood of Christ as an offering for our sin. And the picture of the live goat is a picture of our sins being taken away. They're not covered. They're taken away forever. And thank God for that. Okay, let me move on. In Deuteronomy 15, every seventh year was to be a Sabbath in Israel. Debts were eliminated. 
and those servants went free, and every seventh year they had the Sabbath. And then, of course, in Joshua 6, and uh, there's so much there that I won't uh, take time to read it because these are, I trust, all familiar stories to you. In, in, in uh, uh, Joshua chapter 6, you have the conquest of Jericho, and I've seen the remains of that city. Uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, the walls that fell down and all that. But uh, uh, the, they were told uh, to march around the city one time each day for seven days. And on the seventh day, they were to march around seven times. And they had seven priests with seven trumpets. Everything you read about that story has to do with seven. God said, I, again, seven is the number of completion, a number of perfection. And uh, there uh, the, it was completed and the walls fell down. In Judges 16, Samson had seven locks of hair that uh, 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 Delilah cut off. And then in 1 Kings 18, you have the wonderful story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I like that story too. And Mount Carmel. And how that, uh, you remember Elijah prayed that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three, three years and six months, three and a half years. And, uh, you know, God's going to send another family in the tribulation period. Uh, that which hath been, that which is to be, is already been, and so forth, Ecclesiastes says. And, but uh, uh, Elijah, uh, you know, it's the three and a half years is ended, and you know how God supernaturally takes care of Elijah. And he calls for the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves. And, and he has this confrontation on Mount Carmel. And they, he tells them to build an altar. And he repaired the altar of God. And they build their altar, put their bullock on the altar. And they begin to cry out to Baal. Brother Thomason has been talking about Baal worship. Baal worship is very much alive. You know, that old worship of the woman and the child, Samaranus and Tammuz, you read about it in, in the prophets, and uh, uh, has been going on since Nimrod's day. And so it's an old, old religion, and still being practiced today. A lot of times the people don't even realize they're doing it. But uh, Elijah, uh, they pray to Baal, and they cry out to Baal, and Elijah mocks them. He said, maybe he's asleep. <laughs> You need to wake him up. Cry louder. You know, maybe he's on a journey. Uh, maybe he's pursuing an enemy or whatever. Call and they cut themselves and the blood gushes out and all this, these heathen practices and, and uh, you know, uh, crawling up steps like Martin Luther. Uh, you know, he was uh, crawling up those steps in Rome and, and uh, you know, people crawl those things to their knees were bloody, trying to make an appeasement for sin. And it came to him, uh, the just shall live by faith. <laughs> Got up from there and, and uh, you know, started the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but anyway, uh, they, they do all these things and, and Baal is not here. And Elijah repairs the altar of God and, uh, you know, puts the wood in order and puts the bullock on there and, and uh, uh, prays, uh, prays a very simple prayer, not a big long prayer. And, and uh, the fire, of, he puts, pours water on it, and water was evident, it was a premium. And uh, the fire of God falls and consumes the offering 
are from, if I remember correctly, from the top to the bottom. Now, fire don't burn that way, does it? Don't fire, you don't start, you build a fire, you start with your kindling down, you put some paper in there, whatever, push your kindling on, put you some little bigger sticks than the big sticks on top of that, and it burns from the bottom up. But uh, that fire consume, consume the sacrifice, consume the wood and, uh, and the stones and licked up the water in the trench. <laughs> and the people said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And oh, Elijah kills the prophets of Baal. What a preacher. Oh, a violent, a violent preacher. <laughs> and uh, uh, they, they get rid of the prophets of Baal and, and anyway... Uh, Elijah goes over, you know, on the hill overlooking the Mediterranean Sea and gets down and begins to pray. And he prays for the rain, but the rain don't come. He tells his servant, he said, go look, look and see if you see. He said, what do you see? He comes back and said, don't see nothing. <laughs> he prays again. He said, servant, what do you see? He said, don't see nothing. I'd have probably quit praying then. I said, that looks like it's the will of God. That's not going to be in rain. Now, you know, it'd be easy to pray, you know, on a cloudy day and clouds are low and looks like you're going to come a flood. And it's easy to, easy to pray then. But I'd say it's a little harder to pray uh, when, uh, uh, when the, the, the sky's clear. He prayed seven times. What if he had stopped at five or six? I think Elijah, uh, you know, I think he was familiar with Jericho, don't you? And uh, he prayed seven times, and, and he said, well, you see, see, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. That's, that's not much evidence, is it? He said, the rains are coming. Seven times. Well, it's a wonderful story. That's in 1 Kings 18. And God showed Elijah 7,000 men hadn't bowed the knee to Baal in 1 Kings 19. Uh, you know, I think of that great victory and how that... Uh, how that God shows himself and Jezebel said, I'll kill you. You kill my prophets, I'm going to get you. And that wicked woman scared him to death. And uh, he took off, you know, <laughs> you know the story. But he said, I'm the only one goes over the cave. I'm the only one left. Nobody loves God but me. And the Lord says, you're not the only one, Elijah. I've got 7,000. Then in 2 Kings 5, there's a wonderful story, and I've got to hurry. Uh, Naaman there. The story of Naaman and uh, uh, the little servant girl who had been captured and made a servant girl. And, and uh, leper was, or Naaman was a mighty man of valor and, and, and a great warrior, but uh, he was a leper. And this was a great tragedy in his life. And, and the little, little servant girl said, Would God you were with the prophet of Israel, and, uh, the prophet of God in Israel, he'd cure you of this leprosy. Well, uh, he, the word gets to the king, and, and the king sent him over there. said, Aren't you to heal my, my captain? I want you to heal him of his leprosy. And uh, the king said, Who am I? Why, I can't heal leprosy. <laughs> Elijah hears about it and said, Send him down here. He don't even go out and see him. He sends his servant out and says, go down Jordan dip seven times. Now probably Jordan was muddy at that time. May, may or may not have been, but when it overflows in rainy season, Jordan gets muddy. And uh, why Naaman, he, uh, he's angry. I'm not going to, oh, the rivers of Syria are better than this old Jordan. I'm not dipping in Jordan. 
and he starts to head back home and servants persuade him and said, why, if he'd have told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? All you have to do is dip. Say, what, basically, what do you got to lose? So he decides, he goes down and dips. But you know something? He doesn't get healed on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth dip. Only on the seventh time he went down did God heal him. And you know the story there, wonderful story. And then we started the study of Job, and, and Job had seven sons twice. Job 1 and Job 42. The psalmist said he praised God seven times a day in Psalm 119, verse 164. Seven times a day do I praise God. Do we do that? Then the Bible tells us in Proverbs 6, and I want to read that to you, that there's seven things that are an abomination to God. In Proverbs 6 and verse 16, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination unto him. And he lists them. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And nothing's more innocent than the abortionists, are they? The, abort, the aborted babies. And heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Seven things, he says, are an abomination unto God. Then in Isaiah 30, 26, and I want to read that uh, also. In Isaiah, uh, if I can find it quickly here, Isaiah 30, 26, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. Now, I know in the tribulation it talks about that men will be scorched with heat, but it didn't say the heat of the sun. He said the light of the sun. And this is going to be a blessing, not a curse. This will happen in the millennial reign of Christ. And the earth will produce unbelievable because of, the, of the, the light increased there. Then we have in Ezekiel 38 and 39, of course, those great chapters on the uh, Russian invasion of Israel and uh, the countries and all that will accompany them. And, and my friends tonight, don't be deceived by what's happening in Russia and that part of the world. God's, God's word is going to be fulfilled. And don't, don't be so upset about the newscast. Well, we, you know, we no longer have a threat. You know, sometimes it, we may be in worse shape than we were before. At least before they had control of all these countries, you know, and it was all centralized and there was maybe one fellow you had to deal with. But now it's all broke up and, and uh, they, they have the problem now of, of terrorists getting a hold of the nuclear weapons and who knows what... Uh, uh, you know, some of these nutcases would, uh, uh, would do if they got a hold of them. Uh, so Saddam Hussein and Qaddafi, Muammar Qaddafi and some of those fellows, what do you think they'd do with him? And oh, is it Hafaz of Syria and some of those uh, radicals? But, uh, but anyway, uh, Russia is going to march on Israel. And then in Daniel 3, you have the story of the five furnished Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they will not bow to the golden image when the instruments of music were played. And uh, that's a type of Antichrist and the image of Antichrist. Uh, it was 60 cubits high, 
six cubits wide, and they were commanded to worship when seven or six instruments of music were played. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow, and they would not burn. And uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. In fact, it was so hot that the men that threw them in, it consumed them. That was hot, wasn't it? And old Nebuchadnezzar can't believe. He said, I see, did not we throw three men in there? I see four men walking around. And the form of the fourth is, is the Son of God. Well, God took care of him. But it was, he did seven times hotter. And Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 of Daniel was given the heart of the beast for seven years. His nails grew out like eagle's claws and his hair like feathers. And he, uh, he acted like a cow. You think of that. You, you talk about, you know, God can bring you down, can he? Yeah, God can bring you down. And, uh, uh, you know, I think it was uh, B.R. Lakin. He said, be careful of how you treat your friends on the way up. He says, you'll meet the same fellows or the same people on the way back down. <laughs> you know, that a lot of truth in that. And... Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, he was given the heart of the, pea, of, of the beast. And uh, the thing about it is he was warned. He was warned before he did it. God gave him warning. And Daniel interpreted the dream and told him what it all meant. And uh, uh, the vision and all that he had had there. And, uh, but one day he walked upon his roof and looked out over Great Babylon. And it, it, was, it was amazing. He seen what he had done. And uh, uh, history records the fact that uh, he married a wife and she was in the mountains. And, of course, that was in the flat country. And, and she was so homesick that he built her a mountain. <laughs> and he conquered the world. Babylon, they, at one time, they ruled the world. Was Saddam Hussein, that's, what, that was, that's his idol, Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he wanted to do. And, uh, uh, but uh, anyway, and, and we, we hadn't seen the last of him either. When that was when all that was going on, I preached, uh, you know, a message, a few messages on that, and and mentioned then I said we're not through with Iraq yet, right. not through with them, because God, when God gets through with them, uh, they, you know, He's going to absolutely wipe wipe them off of the face of the earth. Right. So, but anyway, that's another message. I get to run all these rabbits when I, you know, a message like this. But uh, he was he was given the heart of the beast. For, for these seven years. And, uh, but, you know, when his mind returned to him, uh, he, uh, uh, you know, he, he recognized the God of heaven. In Psalm 12, verse 6, he said, The word of God is like silver purified seven times. Now, I don't know anything about purifying of silver, but evidently, you know, if, you go, if it goes through a process seven times, you've got the pure stuff. And you got rid of all the impurities. You got rid of, there's no, there's nothing left but absolute pure silver. And I want to tell you, he said the word of God's like that. And I just believe that. I'm like Brother Thomason. I hope all of us, I, I just believe it's all so. I believe it's true. I, I, believe, I believe God's got rid of any, any element of error. And he uh, uh, says like silver, purified seven times. He didn't say six times or 
three times or whatever, but purified uh, seven times. And so uh, that makes it pure, doesn't it? And we can believe it. Again, B.R. Lakin, he said, uh, uh, some fellow said to him, said, you better said, uh, talking about the Bible, he said, I believe in spots. He said, I don't know where the spots are. I just believe it all or none. <laughs> and uh, I think I, that's the way I am. I just believe it all or none. If you can't, you know, if, if there's parts of it wrong, then what parts are wrong? Who decides what's wrong and what's right and what you're supposed to believe and what can't you believe? You just believe it all and you have that problem. Just believe it all. Then in Matthew 15, verse 32 through 39, we just studied this in Sunday school, Jesus fed 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fishes, and there were seven baskets left over. And I told you about the preacher on radio years ago. He was preaching on feeding the 4,000. He, he read the scripture and he got to preach it. He says, you know, I've heard all my life there's 5,000. He said, says right there, 4,000. And he went on and on and preached a sermon <laughs> on the radio. And uh, someone got, got in touch with him and, you know, <laughs> told him there was two accounts. There was the feeding of the 5,000 and there was the feeding of the 4,000. <laughs> it was two different accounts. And he tried to get it straightened out. But I'll tell you, you talk about uh, making a mess. That'd be hard to, hard to <laughs> live with, wouldn't it? But uh, anyway, uh, I don't know what ever happened to him. But uh, he had preached five minutes and begged for 25. <laughs> Someone said when he died, people say the beggar died and was buried. <laughs> well, Lord bless him. I believe the man is saved. I think he is just ignorant. But uh, let me go on. Uh, Matthew 18, preached on this last week, verse 21 and 22, we're to forgive 70 times, seven times, 490 times. And then in Mark 16 and verse 9, Mary Magdalene had seven devils cast out of her. And uh, she was one of the first ones there, uh, of course, at, uh, uh, at the tomb. And uh, in Acts 6 and verse 3, the early church had seven deacons. And some people think every church ought to have seven deacons. Well, we know that church had 3,000 saved and 5,000 saved, and daily there's people added to the Lord. And... Uh, uh, a church may need seven or may need 70, I don't know, depending on what the needs are. Uh, but uh, that was the first number of the church there. And then in Revelation, we have uh, seven churches in re the first three chapters of Revelation that are spoken of there. We have seven seal judgments in Revelation chapter 6. We have seven trumpet judgments in Revelation 8. Uh, and 9, and we have seven vile judgments in Revelation 16. And there's many other sevens in the book of Revelation. If you study it, uh, there's repeated uh, groups of seven uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the book of Revelation. And so you have all this use of seven, and I'm sure there's others. We'll just give you some highlights of how seven is used in the Bible. And I believe as there were seven days of creation, there will be 7,000 years of man's history before eternity. And I believe we're closing in on the, on the end of the 6,000. We know there's going to be, we know there's going to be 1,000 years with Christ reigning. And we've already been here, I don't know, you know, depending on the calendar, but by our calendar, we've, you know, we're about, we're about through with 6,000. 
And of course, the Jewish calendar, they've got a few years yet, 59 and something. But anyway, you look at it, we're, we're closing in on the 6,000 years. And, and I believe we're just about, about out of time. The Bible said that one day is with the Lord's a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And you have, uh, when Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, he waits six days and goes up to the mountain. It's transfigured, which is a picture of the kingdom. And you have 6,000 years, then you have, I believe, the kingdom. And so seven, seven, the number of completion, the number of, of perfection, uh, I believe that uh, we have this illustrated throughout the Bible, and we have it, it will be a part of prophecy as well. Let's bow our heads, please.